0: Well, good evening, everybody. Good to see you back here this evening. Must have not done too bad this morning. Folks showed up again for the evening, so we'll thank him for that. Um, Go ahead and turn with me, if you would, uh, in your Bibles to the book of Acts. We'll be in several places around Acts, and we're talking this evening about spirit-led evangelism. Ain't no way to do that without working through the book of Acts, and so that's what we're going to do. And uh, I'll leave the title of the lesson undone a little bit uh, to start but let's go ahead and, and look though together at Acts chapter 6 verses 3 through 6 is where we're going to start. Now as I mentioned to you guys this morning um, I, I, I have to sort of tell you that I, I, I understand that I'm not telling you anything you probably don't know We're looking at very familiar passages. Um, Don't know that I have a great deal of wisdom, um, but I do want to remind you about some things. And, you know, we're like that. We're human. We forget things and we grow comfortable with things and comfortable more so than we should. And so sometimes it's good to just be reminded. And so think of this as a reminder. Uh, Beginning, but though, at uh, verse 3 in Acts chapter 6, Therefore, brethren... Seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied, multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. That is a huge statement there. It, just a few little verses. I kind of want to focus on one particular fellow this evening. His name is Philip. And you read about him right here where he's introduced. And he's kind of the one I like to talk about. And I can't hardly do this. Y'all, excuse me just a minute. Um, I mentioned to you this morning how I'm much more comfortable barefooted. I I won't be barefooted, but I'll do stocking feet if that's okay. But we can't really talk about Philip when I'm wearing my shoes. Because Philip, this guy loved to run. He did. And if you don't it may not say about him running, but I want you to read with me as we look through these passages. Philip was a runner. Now, there was a time in my life, I know I don't look like it today, I'm sorry, but I don't. But I was a runner. I've got T-shirts at home to prove it. I I ran 10Ks, I ran 15Ks, I ran 5Ks, and and I never was no lightning time, but I I finished the race, you know. Um, and and I would run the whole time. You know, you got some people they'll they'll run a little bit when the cameras are on, and then the cameras are off, and they're walking, you know, or walking fast, but they're walking, and then they run a little more when they get close to the end. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't like that. I'm running the whole time. And uh, I did that, and, and uh, M- Maria would follow me around and wait for me at the end, and sometimes that wait got a little long, but she did, you know, bless her little heart. And uh, we would do that. And, uh, but I, I, and, and there again, I, I know I don't look like it. Well, maybe I do look like that. At one time, I was a pugilist. Now, some of you know what a pugilist is, but um, I used to fight. Um, I was an amateur boxer. Um, actually, I was training for the 1980 Olympics, but then Jimmy Carter messed us up and we didn't get to go, and so didn't get to do that in the level that I wanted. But, uh, but I, I understand running and I understand training and this sort of thing, and and uh, uh, it's, just, it's just always been a fun part of my life. Uh, actually, I did it too much, and I ruined my, my knees. So now if I don't run on a bicycle, I don't run. Uh, my old legs can't take it anymore. And, uh, but I, I, I do love bicycling. But Philip loved to run. Look here with me. <clears throat> and where it says in Acts 8-4, Therefore those who were scattered went everywhere, preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. And hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Philip goes down. Did he walk down? I don't think so. I think he ran and you'll see why in a little bit. It's interesting when God spoke Philip answered and we need to be the same way. Too often you and I we reason things out and boy are we good at reasoning. You know, we do the philosophical thing like we were talking about this morning and we we can get out of a lot of stuff and you know that's for somebody else and you know it's not convenient and I got to do this and I we just do other stuff but Philip when God called, he answered, and I love that about him. And we have to ask ourselves, he okay, if he say he didn't run, I think he ran. That's kind of why the name I titled this particular sermon, Run, Philip, run. He was always on the move. But you have to ask your question. When you look at the life of a man like Philip, what does God have for me there? You know, Remember, we were talking about this morning, Samaria, how Samaria was not a real favorite area for the Jews to go, and how they didn't really want to be there. And, you know, Jesus kind of started his ministry in Samaria, which is interesting. If you read your Bible through with a timeline sort of a thing, you find that. And it was interesting, but, you know, his own disciples didn't know exactly why Jesus wanted to start there, but he did. He did. And he preached Christ to them, and they received Christ openly and welcomed him. And Philip was about to experience another blessing there in the in the city, uh, in the area there around Samaria. Well. I like to say that Philip runs to Samaria. He ran for Jesus, and he ran for mankind. You know, a lot of times I would run. I would run for health. I would run for conditioning. I would run for a T-shirt or whatever. Of course, I had, you know, y'all know I had to buy that shirt, right? But you, but you run. You got the privilege to wear that shirt. And, but Philip was running for Jesus and for mankind. Philip was obviously of those who were scattered. We know that. You know, Saul and the Jewish leaders, with the assistance of the Roman government, they were wreaking havoc among the new believers in Christ when all this was going on. The church had been comfortable in their new faith. They were beginning to learn the real gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not an easy believism. And I don't know how many people like us really appreciate that. But these Jews who were coming to Christ, these Samaritans especially, but even the Jews, it was difficult for them to receive Christ this was new they thought they had it they were God's children and they, they are you can't argue that read the scripture you find out they are but there's going to be requirements upon them and more so and many Jews lived with the expectation that they were going to suffer in life because they were Jews because they were Jesus children because they were uh, God's children. They were going to suffer in life. And they, they were uh, more studious about many things that they did than the people around them. And, you know, we were talking a little bit in Sunday school this morning, uh, looking at the life of Samson. Why did he do such stupid things? Well, he was a man. And he was, he was following his manly desires and his manly instincts. And he was doing this. He didn't follow God as he should have. And just, but I think about a man like Samson, and I think, oh, my goodness, what could he have been had he really been? Now, he, and you, you, you can't, I can't kick him, okay? I'd like to sometimes, but you can't. I mean, he's listed in the Hebrews Hall of Faith. Ricky's name ain't in there, you know? But here's Samson in the Hebrews Hall of Faith. So, I mean, he was, he did great things. But imagine what he could have been had he been a man of God. And it's just, it's incredible to think about that. Well, there, we don't want to get too comfortable in our believism. They were beginning to learn the real gospel of Jesus Christ. And then for most folks, it's Christianity tends to be a rough and rugged road. But even through this setback, Philip goes to Samaria and, pray and preaches Jesus Christ. You know, for us to go and share Christ with a neighbor okay, there's a little bit of awkwardness many times and, you know, how do you bring Christ into a conversation when you're standing in a pile of leaves and stuff like this, but it's possible. We need to be thinking about those things, but we often don't. Well, just imagine if we were being persecuted. Um, I've been, I was talking to Brother Elam on the way um, over this evening. Um, I have actually had the privilege to be and sit down and hold the hands of men and women who were caught up in the persecutions in India. Um, some of them barely escaped. I mean, they had to live in jungles when this thing started. Um, and they would be there till they could hide out and find a way out. One, just a real quick little story, this guy, um, him and his wife and his, um, he, his wife and two children, one boy, one girl, they were supposed to be in that church that was burned in 2008 there in Pobani, uh, they were supposed to have been in that church that morning, but the church service was too full, and they couldn't get in, so they you know, went out and went to someplace else. But then when the fire broke out, when the, the radical Hindus rolled that wagon against the doors and locked it and poured diesel fuel in and lit it and burned everybody that was in the church, um, he saw these things happen. And Rohit was just terribly, but, and he said he was paralyzed, but he didn't know what to do. So, him and his daughter, his his wife and daughter ran one way, and Rohit and his son ran another, and they both hid out in the jungle. And his wife had made it back uh, onto a train to Bubanesha to a safer place where they were. He and his son were stuck in the jungle, and he waited and he prayed, and they were just eating roots and leaves and things like that. Uh, while they were there in the jungle. But then um, he uh, uh, just said, you know, I've got to get on this train. So a few days later, he makes his way to the train station when the train's supposed to be there. And as he's walking in the open spaces getting to the train, he was spotted. And people knew he was a Christian pastor. And so uh, he was here. here's he and his son. And so he sees what's going on, so he started kicking his son. And treating like like he's a street beggar, and he kind of looked like one by that time, and so he was kicking his son and telling him, to "Get away from him! He don't even know who's this guy." And he was hoping to save the life of his son, but he knew he was going to die. And so he's doing this, and then all of a sudden, from nowhere, they don't even they don't know to this day um, how how it happened, but this car <clears throat> blows up—a four-wheel drive, uh, 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 like a forerunner kind of a thing—blows up beside him and his son and throws open the doors and he didn't know why they jumped in you know we we got to get in here so they get in this car and the car does a wheelie or a a, a turnaround donut sort of a thing and then takes off and leaving dust and everything behind and this driver they're going down the road and he don't know who this driver is he don't know what his intent is and Rohit asked me he says you know brother thank you so much I don't know who you are what you're doing but thank you and the driver says well where you want to go and Rohit says, "Well, you know, Bubanesher is the safest place, but it's six hours away, um, and depending on how the roads, maybe eight hours." And I couldn't possibly ask you for such things. I says, "No problem, let's go." So they took off, and he drove them back to Bubanesher, and they were reunited with his wife and his daughter. And when the guy got done, you know, he opened the door and let them out, and Rohit said, uh, "Thank you so much. You know, I don't have any money." To pay you, I, I was I've involved in a persecution and the guy just sort of smiled and said, yes, I understand, no problem. So he goes to get in the car and he went back in to tell him thank you and didn't recognize the the, the same man who had driven them all the way there. Didn't know who he was when he was gone. Still don't have a clue who he was. That's just kind of awesome <laughs> and uh, that you get to, but you get to hear these things firsthand and it means a lot more. Sorry for the little bit of crying. I tried to get better, but it's just so cool to see that. But God had a purpose for Rohit and for his son and for his daughter and for his wife. And he preserved them through this. T- to this day, nobody knows. And Rohit has tried to find out where this car came from and why this man chose to do this. The man even mentioned, and I might not or even tell this point, but the man had mentioned on the drive on the way that he was a Muslim. And, uh, but he felt like, you know, that, you, know you're, you are a, 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 a servant of the one true God and so am I. And so he went and uh, did this for him and don't know, what, don't know how it happened or when, exactly when we considered just that was angels unaware that was taking care of him well but imagine you're going through this kind of persecution and God says okay even in the midst of this persecution I want you to run down to Samaria and talk to some folks down there and you're thinking uh, Lord we got into trouble every time we opened our mouths about this stuff why don't I just get along and blend in and you know life will be good and God said no 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 you're going to do this. So Philip goes and he runs down to Samaria and he gets there. And then he's obviously, uh, well, he's there with those that have been scattered and, and uh, you know, a lot of, uh, 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 it had become somewhat easy for Jews to live in their Jewism, Jew- Jewishness um, there. And uh, they knew how to do it. They knew how to offer sacrifices. They knew how to go to the appointed festivals and do the things they were supposed to do. But they also knew, That there really was no salvation in that and of course the Samaritans thought that well you know they they worship differently than the Jews and Jesus had straightened out a lot of that but he didn't give them all the entire story and picture when he was there and uh, so they're learning and they're getting together and so Philip goes to explain Jesus better so he goes to Samaria and he preaches Jesus Christ and the joy that came from the peace and the mercy and the grace of God, these people were repentant, truly repentant. They turned from their sin. They didn't, but you know, it's one thing to turn from something, but what are you turning to? They turned to the living God. How wonderful an experience is that! And Philip got to see that firsthand and 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 enjoy that. Um, and these people not only were they turning to Christ, they were being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Great celebration was breaking out from the joy of the Lord. Philip is blessed of the Lord and he's a part of the outpouring of God's grace. The new believers are now being discipled by, his faith, by this one faithful man. But Philip realizes that something is not yet right. And that's interesting. He knew, okay, Lord, you know, I don't know if I can take any more of this, but I, I'm gonna stay here and try and he does. But he realizes there's something more to happen. Look with me at Acts 8, 14. Now, when the apostles were at Jerusalem, they heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John down to Samaria. Now, why is that important? Peter and John were interesting characters. We gonna talk a whole lot about them, but they were interesting characters. Who was it the first two men, not the first two, but the first two men, that ran to the tomb of Jesus after his death and resurrection. Peter and John. Absolutely. Exactly why these guys were chosen, I don't know. I really don't. I don't have a clue. But they went and they also carried some of the heaviest weight. Now, James, James was more of a, a, a Jerusalem man. He, he sort of stayed there. And that's all right. You know, you, you need that. But he was there. But Peter and John. They ran down to Samaria. They wanted to see and be with Philip and investigate. Who, when they had come down, according to verse 15, prayed with them, prayed for them, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. You, there's a receiving of the Holy Spirit that happens at conversion. If you haven't received the Holy Spirit, are you truly saved? I, when I read the Bible, it says No. Now, we are talking about some weird thing that happens in some unintelligible languages and tongues of fire, although that did happen at Pentecost, you remember. That didn't really happen again after that. But the interesting thing was they knew that they had not received the Holy Spirit. Peter and John coming down, communing and working with Philip, this happened. And they received the Holy Spirit. One of these days, I'm going to figure all this stuff out, and I'll be able to tell you what all that means. Right now, I can't, but I can tell you it's important, and I can tell you that it's here, and we need to do that. For as yet, he, the Holy Spirit, had fallen upon none of them. Thank you, brother. Then, or they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Man, was that important. So here comes, God brings great evangelistic results. Here in Samaria, but this is just, this, and Philip's kind of new to this stuff. Now he was a man great in faith. Okay, um, we would give him the same moniker, if you will, that Stephen had been given because he was included with the group, with Stephen, men of great faith and 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 fervor for the Lord. But here he is. The results are so great that the representatives have to come down to Samaria from Jerusalem just to check it out. And so here they are. And the apostles realized that even though the Samaritans have turned from sin and that they're they're to the true worship of God, they have as yet not understood the receiving of the Holy Spirit, the empowering agent who will bring about their sanctification. And, you know, that's one reason the Holy Spirit is so important. If you ever wonder why your witnessing seems like it can't get started, you just can't jumpstart it. So to speak, and it just don't. You know you should do it, but you just can't, and you you you, you know you, you got that thing going on. You know what I'm talking about? It's hard to describe, but you know when it's there, it's the Holy Spirit involved in your witness. Now I know the Bible says that you know He'll He'll give us the words to say if we'll just start and speak, and He will. Sometimes you just have to step out on faith and accept that, but God will. I don't know how many times it happens that you get in the middle of something that is so much bigger than you are sharing Christ. And in that, words and thoughts come to your mind that are not yours. And you know it. And, but they're right. And you're like, thank you, Lord, for this little, bit, little tidbit and let's go with it, you know. And you do. And then he opens more and he opens more. Don't be afraid of that. That's the way God works. He wants us to step out first um so one time my wife and i we were down in Mexico, and uh you know, I, I have been heavier than I am now but i'm I'm still a pretty big guy, and most of the zip line things anybody ever do zip line in here before raise your hand to you oh yeah you've done that. that's pretty cool. How much fun is it? but I, I did one i don't know why I chose this one to do. it was there on the coast, and there was a cliff, and the zip line went down the cliff. Uh, just a little bit out on the water and a little bit not. So you would zip line down this cliff to a, a little tower area where you would get on another zip line and you would zip line out over the ocean and then you would end out in the ocean and then you would come back to land and you could do this. If you were really stupid, you could let low, let go and fall down in the ocean uh, down there. But, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm sorry I've read too much about Jaws. I, I just uh, I don't do that. And uh, so I, I didn't. But it was, I'll never forget, though, the first time I ever did this. I haven't done it since even. Well, I did it a couple times, I guess, but then not since there. But when I'm on this tower... And you'd had to climb up this tower up on the cliff, and you climb up there, and you're there, and you know you're just you're just standing and looking around, and oh, the scenery is so beautiful. You see the Caribbean Sea, you know, and you see the land, and and you're so far above, you can see everything because the land is so flat down there, and you can just see everything that's going on, and you see this cliff. And you're like, man, those are pretty menacing rocks, you know. And then you grab a hold of this thing and you sort of harness yourself in there and, and you learn how to do the little brake thing there and then you step off the platform. But when you step off that platform, there ain't nothing above you. If there's something above me, I can grab a hold to. That's cool. I'm good. There was nothing up there. There was just this little old bitty wire stretching out over this cliff and I step off of this platform over... The ocean in this cliff, and I would surely die if I fell there. I mean, there's no way to survive this thing, and, and and you know that 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 little cable trolley handle thing that you hang on to, riding over, it ain't really fastened. It's just your weight that holds it on there. And I'm thinking to myself, Ricky, as I'm jumping or not jumping, but as I'm stepping off of this platform, I'm thinking, Ricky, you are leaving a Perfectly good platform that's sturdy and it's safe. Why are you stepping out into the air? But you know, that's kind of what God wants us to do with when we're sharing Christ. You step out into things that you know that you are not equipped for this. You got no wings, I don't have no fins. It's gonna be bad if I fail. But he sort of takes care of you. And I think God takes care of, you know, idiots and people like me too, you know. And he did. And uh, I came back to tell you about this thing. But it was just, that's kind of how witnessing is. If you've ever had that privilege to do, you just have to step out. Well, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon these new believers to empower them and indwell them in order to give them the power and and, and the desire to do the will of God. You know, we talked this morning just a little bit about grace, and I've been here before, and we talked a little bit about grace. But, you know, a lot of people define grace in an erroneous way. Um, They'll tell you that grace is unmerited favor. Don't believe it. They'll tell you that it's... um, Oh, I, I forget all the excuses that they give for what grace is. But what grace is, you get down and you study the scriptures and you study the word grace. You find out that what grace is, is the desire and the power that God gives us at conversion in order to do his will. You want to know how to live like a Christian. You cannot do it without grace. God has to give you the desire. We're talking about Samson. If you don't have the desire to follow God, you're going to follow the world. There's only two choices in life. You're going to do one or the other. So if we don't have that desire that God gives us to follow him, you can't do it. It's just there's too much temptation. We can't can't deal with it. Um, And not only does he give us the desire to do it, he gives us the power to do it. The resurrection power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and brought him back to life is the power God gives us to live the Christian life. Why aren't we doing it more? Ain't no reason why not. We've been equipped. We have the tools. Do it. And do what God tells us to do. And man... You know, I, I don't know if I've ever told you this, I, the, I've got a, I, I love to tell the eagle story. I, I've got a little thing that I like to talk about eagles, but you know, eagles are interesting birds. And, you know, there are people, you know, I'm in equating eagles with Christians, okay? And, but there are Christians who have, are not following the word. They just, they're just living outside. They may even be members in good standing, but they are not eagle Christians the way God wants them to be. Because see an eagle he gets up there in the sky higher than any other bird and he sets his eyes on the sun and he sets his wings on the spirit. We would say the spirit of God but he's setting, he's operating off of the power of another and he's looking to God. And there's Christians uh, who have failed to do that but they see other eagle Christians doing it. And they long to be up there in the sky again, looking to God, setting their wings upon the Spirit of God. That's how we get involved and do mission work. That's all it is. Ain't nothing special. You know, that's the crazy thing. You get involved and it's like, dude, how did I get here? And you're like, I don't know, but I love it and I don't want to leave. And you stay. And you want to do it more. And the more you do, the more you want to do That's the way these things work. Well, we ask sometimes, what is fallen upon these Samaritan believers? I can give you a whole litany. I've done a considerable amount of, well, I ain't going to give you all these references. You don't have time to write them all down. But you go from Matthew 3.11 all the way to Titus 3.5. And there is an amazing assortment of Bible verses relating to the Spirit of God. That has fallen upon these people. You can look in Matthew 3.11. You can look in Matthew 20. Let's throw out some of these that you know. Um, Matthew 28.18-20. How many people don't know the Great Commission? But you know Jesus wasn't just saying words. He was giving a commission. That's what we are to be about. That's who we are. It's not just what we do. It's who you are. That's the difference. That's why it works. You can do a lot of things. But it's who you are. And um on to um Mark one eight and thirteen eleven and Luke one and and, and actually chapter one and two and three and 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 so a couple of places, chapter four, Luke eleven and twelve, and John fourteen and Acts 1, 2, 5, 8, 2, um um uh, uh eight and um oh my goodness. A bunch of verses in Acts eight. That's why we're kinda of looking there. First Corinthians six, Uh, 16 to 20, Ephesians 1, 13 and 4, 30 and Titus 3. I mean, read those verses and find out, study out the word grace and understand when you're looking at the word grace, that is what you have been empowered with by God, by the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you. You know, when, when we're told that our bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit, why is it a temple of the Holy Spirit? Because the Spirit of God dwells within it. You know, the temple in Jerusalem, why was it the temple? It was the temple because that's where they believed the presence of God was. They're in the Holy of Holies. They're on the, on, the, on, the, on the ark, you know, where the cherubim were and that sort of thing. And, you know, you've seen the pictures. And, but the reason it was so special was because that's where the presence of God was. But now that presence of God is inside of you. And people died over that privilege many, many times. All through history, people have died for that privilege but we take it so lightly but think about that that's what it is well okay so philip's getting ready to be more fully used of god he's loving this and god has whet his appetite now and god has showed him what he can do um uh, uh, with one who exercises just the, what god can do with one who exercises just a little bit of faith, what God is willing to do. And now Philip is emboldened and he's ready for God's Spirit to just get a hold of him and make him more like Jesus. You know, and he sort of lets the Holy Ghost revival just keep on rolling. And he's loving life. And, you know, oftentimes I'll run. Since for stroke, I don't run so much anymore um, uh, in front of people because sometimes I'll fall. So I want to do that. But I like to run. That's why I go barefooted because I can run better barefooted, you know. And uh, But we want to let this Holy Ghost revival keep on going but you remember philip is a man who runs and this thing is going and now peter and john are there and they've got good things happening and god's got other plans for philip look here with me in acts chapter 8 verse 26 now an angel of the lord spoke to philip saying arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from jerusalem to gaza this is desert so he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading the, uh, Isaiah, the prophet. Oh, my stars, any better book in the Bible to read? Man. And then the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. Now, I don't know about you, Chariots don't move like an old plug mule. Chariots move. Generally, horses pull chariots. Horses have a, a little more of a gait than uh, mules. I'm not a farm man, but I know, even I know that. And so we got this chariot. And now this guy is also in desert. Now, you don't want to overdo the horses there, but you don't want to stay too long in the desert either. So here's this guy, rich man, in this chariot. They're going through this desert, and God says, Philip, go and overtake that chariot. You know what overtake means? Catch up with him. Stay with him. And so Philip, what does he do? He says, Lord, I, I'm tired. I've made this trip from Samaria down to Gaza. What do you think, man? You know, I'm, I'm just, and the Lord says, go. And Philip says, yes, sir. And he jumps on, and He's running. He's running up here. He gets beside that chariot. And let me catch up with where we're at. And, and uh, so Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? Now, what a question to ask the man. The man's reading. And you ask him, do you understand what you're reading? Now, that says a lot. Number one, Philip had heard these words before. Now, they didn't have Bibles like we do. I know, even in, I have no clue what the whole house looks like, but I know what the little apartment area in the basement where we're staying at England's is like. And I was being nosy a little bit this afternoon, and I was looking at the bookshelf. And there's one section there that there must be seven or eight different versions of the Bible sitting there on the shelf. And some of them just, you know, commentaries and things, but there's like eight of them out of all this library. And I'm like, are we so blessed that we have? And I'm thinking at home, I've got, I, oh, I ain't got to turn around. On my iPad, I've got probably 30 different versions of the Bible. And I could get more for one. All i got to do is get to Google, and Google's good for it, you know. And I can find how blessed are we to have the scriptures in our language. And if, you, if that particular version of English don't suit you, get another one. You know, it's not hard. And if it's a little hard to understand, read a paraphrase for a while and then go back to the literal translation and see what it means. We have so much benefit and we go through so much to get Bibles into India to, in the language of the people, of the ones that can read. It's a very highly illiterate, regardless of what the um, news people would tell you, it's a highly illiterate society. And, but, and in India... It's, it's so interesting. I'll never forget one time. We were living there in 2015, my wife and my daughter and I. And we, our driver and translator we had um, was going to take us down from Odisha State in India, where, like in India, on the left-hand side, there's sort of the armpit of the country there on the left side, about middle ways down. That's where we lived, in the armpit, you know. And there was another state down below called Andhra Pradesh, and we had three children's homes down in Andhra Pradesh that I had, uh, I had you know, uh, petitioned the board and the board said yes. So we were going to uh, set up three new children's homes down in Andhra Pradesh. Now the the board had said this this guy my driver translator he had to drive us down they didn't want us touching the train the driver had to take us and i'm like you know, cool no problem here yeah you know, I, I knew chenchu didn't really want to do it but that's what the board says they're his boss they pay him you know they buy his car and they pay his wages and buy his fuel so why not you know we'll go so we are going to go and he says we're going and we get we're, we're running down the road and we're about 6 hours maybe 8 hours outside of um uh, Kutak, where we live And we come to the state line. And now in India, every state line has tow booths you have to go through. And you have to sort of, it's not a real registration, although they do get license plates and stuff like that, but you have to pay a little fee so that you can go into the next state. And you do this. Now also understanding, and I didn't fully understand at that time how important it was, but every time you cross one of those tow booths, the language changes. Okay, and it's not like changing from Virginia English to Georgia English, or God forbid, changing to New York English. <laughs> no, not like that. We're talking going from, and you know, we even know some Spanish words because it's part of our culture now. It's getting to be, but you don't even know that. So you're going from a country that you know and understand everything to a country you know you can't. You can't. Can you imagine going down the road looking for the speed limit, and the speed limit is written in such a way you can't read it? The exit signs are written in such a way you don't know what they're saying. And I never realized the importance of that because once we got past this tow booth, um, Chintu, my driver, I I look over and his shoulders started shaking a little. And his hands started shaking on the steering wheel. And I'm looking over here and I'm like, you know, dude, is this good? Is this right? Is this okay? And the further we go into Andhra Pradesh, the more his shoulders are shaking. And, the, and finally, I told him, I said, are you okay? Yes, brother, I'm fine. You know, and off we, we're going. Finally, I had to make him stop. I said, dude, pull off the road. Because I, I, got, I got precious cargo in that car my wife and my daughter's in the back seat you know and i wonder well, what's going on with you and I, i'm not trusting his driving at this point which normally he's fine i mean everybody's crazy in india driving but you know he's as good as any other crazy man there and uh but this was not like that and so i made him pull over and i says and i just looked and i said chintu what is wrong with you and, and nothing brother nothing nothing just you know, leave me alone let me drive and I'm, no i'm not gonna leave you alone What's wrong? And by that time, big old crocodile tears are coming down his cheeks, and there's something wrong. And he hadn't been on the phone talking to anyone to get messages. Maybe his wife, or it's not wife, but his mother was sick or something. No, you know. So anyway, I finally harassed him enough that he told me. He said, "Brother, I don't know where I'm at." I don't know where I'm at. What are you talking about? I said, Chinto, I can tell you where we're at. You know, now back then, I don't even think Google was working good in 2015, so I didn't didn't use it. But I knew, I had an atlas. I knew exactly where we were. We were just below, on, on about, about 30 minutes inside of Andhra Pradesh. We were headed for, for a city called Vijanagram where I had made hotel reservations. We were going to spend the night and sleep and get up and drive on down the rest of the way where we needed to be tomorrow. And I said, Jinder, what are you talking about? You don't know where we're at. I know where we're at. How can I know when you don't know? You speak the language. He said, I do not. It's like, what? He said, brother, we left Odisha. We're in Andhra Pradesh. He said, what are we going to do if we get lost? What do you do if you get lost? I'm a man. We drive around until we find the right place, right? You don't stop and ask. But, you know, but then he he says, but but no, he said, you know, I can't. I stop and ask people where we're at or where we're going. They don't understand me, and I don't understand them if they tell me. What are we going to do? I had not thought about that. So the Lord spoke, and I said, well, the Lord will show the way, you know. <laughs> we're going to go. And I said, I at least know where we're going to and We're going to go down there, and we're going to stay. And then we'll be on the way. And I said, I said, if you get me close, all you have to do is get me close to, we were going first to, um, 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 the Call Canada area, um, and, and area uh, Woolapali was where we were going, was the actual name of the city. And uh, I said, If you get me anywhere within 12, 15 miles of Woolapali, I can take you where we're going. I know where we are. So, you know, that appeased him just a little bit. He stopped crying and we went on down the road. But I never thought about how difficult it is not speaking the language, and it can be. Well, that's kind of what's going on here. So let me pick up. Um, um, and, um, oh, okay. And then so the man says, and he said, how, uh, the, the, the eunuch answers Philip, says, how can I understand unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation for his life is taken away, um, or excuse me, his life is taken from the earth. Where's that from? You know it. Where's that from? Come on, somebody say it. Isaiah 53. Thank you. Is there a better passage in the Bible to talk about? And what was better, Philip didn't bring this up, the Ethiopian eunuch. Brought it up. And what was better, he didn't even know what he was reading. He's reading a scroll. Now, you know he was a rich man because he had a scroll. Not many people had a Bible or any, any, uh, at that time the Bible was in uh, different scrolls with different books of the Bible. There were numerous scrolls. So, you know, like in the, uh, they would call it the Ark. Uh, there in the temple, there would be like a large tumbler or a shelf that they would call the Ark, and that would contain the scrolls of the Scripture. And if you never had a chance to visit a Jewish temple you need, or, or uh, synagogue, do it um, just for fun. Um, it's, it's a wonderful experience, and you see things, and it makes your faith become more real sometimes than some of the things that you see. It makes it understandable. But anyway, but this guy bought. Now, imagine... This man from Ethiopia, you know where Ethiopia is compared to where Jerusalem is. But he was in Jerusalem seeking God. And he wanted to find him desperately, but he couldn't. So he goes to the temple where God is, right? And, so, and, and all the priests of God are there. So he goes there and he asks them, help me find God. The best they can do is sell him a scroll. Well, which one do you buy? There's what, 39 Old Testament scrolls? You know, no, the New Testament wasn't written yet. You know, it, was, it was in the process, but there was 39. Which one do you buy? Do you buy in the beginning? You know That was one of Jesus' most favorite scrolls, I'm told. Um, and Deuteronomy, we know how much he loved the scroll of Deuteronomy because he quoted it so many times. But why did he buy the scroll of Isaiah? And more than that, I don't even know if he had the whole chapter of Isaiah or the whole book of Isaiah, but he had chapter 53. Why 53? That's so important. But he was reading it. And he could read the Jewish language. How cool is that? He's Ethiopian. He's reading Jewish. Hebrew. Hebrew's not an easy language to learn, I'm told. I've never learned it myself. You know, Strong's is good to tell me what it means and thank the Lord for it and other Bible dictionaries. But this is the way it was. But he's actually reading. And Philip is understanding the words this man is reading. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? Because see, Philip has now experienced the true grace of God. He's got God living in his heart. The Holy Spirit is telling him, this man is reading about Jesus, my counterpart. You know, the Holy Trinity, three in one, the Holy Spirit is one with Jesus, with God the Father, with God the Son. That's the Trinity. The Trinity is speaking to him about what he's reading, to Philip about what this man is reading. Ah, like this. Then it says, um, so the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you of whom does this prophet say this of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. Man, uh, that's cool. That 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 whew. I've had privilege before in 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 India, um, never in Haiti, but in India to talk to someone about Christ who had absolutely zero understanding of the name Jesus Christ. No Sunday school, no. Billboards know nothing. When we mentioned and asked this 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 man, do you know who Jesus Christ is? You know his look was, uh, no, I didn't get him. <laughs> you know I didn't do anything wrong. And no, that's not what we're, at. we're just who is Jesus Christ? And we got to tell him about this man, Jesus Christ. That whew, you just need to experience that. Well, Philip does this now. As <clears throat> now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see, and now one thing they sort of leave out here, look at the end of verse 35. And, uh, and beginning at this scripture, preach Jesus to him. It don't say, but it's there, because you, what follows in verse 36. This man received Jesus Christ as his Lord and as his Savior. To be involved in that with somebody it's just incredible to know that this person is now no longer doomed to eternal fire and hell. This person is going to experience eternal life and to be with Christ. And to know that you were a tiny, little bitty part of bringing that to this person. That It's awesome. It's just awesome. There's just no way to describe. But the man says here in verse 36, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Nothing. You've received Christ. Philip now understood praying over these people. And when this person receives Christ, they receive the Holy Spirit. They need to receive the the sign of that, which is baptism. He even had time to describe, explain baptism to the man in this chariot as they're talking, and he does. And and Philip says, you, um, uh, If you believe with your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Now when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip away, so that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing, but Philip... I'll just stop right there. That's revival. It wasn't on a large scale, but it was tremendous. And I'm not, you know, you can't really prove this in history. Um, It's not proven in Scripture. But a lot of people believe this man carried Jesus Christ back down to Ethiopia. And that's how the gospel began down there and to be spread among people. And it's one of the most Christian nations in the world now there in those areas. And uh, Islam is making a large impact uh, nowadays, like it is all over the world. But Christianity is still very, very strong. And we love that. And and, and what a privilege is that. But, Philip, you know, even this baptizing thing is so cool. Now, myself, not being, I really, maybe, I'll just say it. Um, I really don't believe you must be ordained to baptize somebody. I think a father could baptize a son or a daughter or a wife or something but I also believe that we're part of a church and the church structure needs to be honored and and appreciated and so we do that like so when I'm in India and we get to preach in a lot of different places and and stuff and we do um when there's time for baptisms um and you don't you never preach Christ to someone, uh, here they did, but this is a little different situation, but in India we don't, and in the US we don't. We have a little bit of time of instruction. You know how we do that before the baptism takes place. But they, they, they will oftentimes, we arrange these trips and they know I'm coming. And so they will hold off on the baptisms till we get there. And then they want us to take part in the baptisms and do, and that's so cool. But I found out in 2015, you gotta be very, very careful about that in India, there's a freedom of religion law, but it's also you have to know Indian law enough to know and, and justice the way there. Every single local magistrate in the country is backed up, backed up by the full weight of the government of India. So whatever he decides is law. Okay. So and there's also even though there's freedom of religion, there's also an anti-conversion. Law, if you're involved in the conversion of somebody from Hinduism to Christianity or to Muslim or to you know, whatever you want to be, um, there's an automatic seven-year federal prison prison sentence for you uh, waiting, and uh, if that's found to be true, so uh, you try to avoid these sort of things, and some some preachers don't. Uh, but there was a time I used to be on Facebook a lot and I would post a lot of pictures because it was so exciting to me to be a part of some of these things. But in 2015, I was going through a police interrogation there and they were trying to prove that I'd done a lot of bad things and I didn't do it. And this was going, But in the process of trying to prove this, the police magistrate, uh, their chief, he showed me, not on my computer, on his, my Facebook page. I, don't even, I didn't even know how he knew my name until i got to his office and then he didn't do any searching he had this stuff he showed me pictures on my facebook and there were baptisms taking place and he said see here you've been involved in conversions and you know, basically your goose is cooked and i just said a little you know, one of them little quick little quick prayers like nehemiah did you know and i said one of them little quick prayers i said lord you got to get me out of this mess and i happened and i looked through the pictures with him not one person who was in the water there was my hand on them, not one. I said, now, sir, you notice that I'm here on this on the on the bank, and they're walking down in the river here or the canal. And I said, I was not there. You see them going underwater. And I said, Number one, you need to understand, no man can convert anybody to Christianity. That's only through the work of the Holy Spirit of God. That's the way it happens. And he sort of let me get away with that. He was a radical Hindu, but he let me get away with that. And then I told him, I said, but I'm not not involved. I helped them into the water. And I helped them back when they were wet. But I said, I did not do the baptism. I said, you do what your Indian people, what you have to do. Which for them, it wasn't illegal to do it. But it would have been for me if I got involved in it. So I said, you do what you have to do, but I'm not guilty. Of what you're saying, I said, you show me one picture when I'm pushing someone under the water or allowing them under the water, and I'll accept my fate. And he said, well, I can't do that. I said, yes, sir, you can't do that because that's the work of God. I'll allow these local pastors to do it. I said, yeah, maybe I was preaching there, but that pastor's preached every Sunday. I just got the privilege to be here today. Big deal, you know. And so he said okay you you you, 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 got, you, you dodged that bullet uh, then he showed me my banking record and it's a whole other story i'll tell you about another day but it was interesting how god can do things and he will you know all you got to do is be willing to give god the chance and dude he'll do it he'll show you he'll give you what to say and it'll always be i promise you i learned this from lloyd hartster years ago uh, many of you knew and remember him and he what a man he was. But I learned you do not have to be angry when you answer. When the Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath, it's true. I promise you, I have lived it over and over and over and over. It just works. And a lot of people, well, how did you do that? How much did you have to pay? I don't pay a dime. We do not pay bribes. God don't bribe anybody, He just conditions the heart. And he changes things, and he does. So we just, you know, give yourself to God and do it. He works it out. So, okay, Philip, he's doing this wonderful, great ministry in Samaria. The apostles placed their approval upon it. The Holy Spirit sealed them and dwelled in these people. The believers are growing in grace and wisdom and knowledge, and God was blessing his work among the Samaritans. Now, Philip has a reward coming. What's it going to be? Look at the revival he started and led in Samaria. Look at this revival that happened in this chariot of this, of this man on the way back to Ethiopia. Look at verse 40 with me. But Philip was found at Azotus. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Reward? Now, he got him out of the desert. Right? He he's not in the desert. He's in a what's he doing in Azotus? Some other people might say, you know, I this guy he did a great work. Look what was done. He deserved a rest. God sends him down to Azotus, but look at the rest of it. And passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. He's still preaching Christ. That's his reward. It's a privilege to serve the most holy God of the universe, the man who created, or the God who created everything from nothing. You know, I love the way one guy noted it one time in a book he wrote. He said, you know, God um, uh, created everything. Yeah, he came from, uh, but some people believe that we came from goo to you by the way of the zoo. You know, no. God created people. He formed man with His hands. He done this. He did this, and does this still. um, It's so amazing that He does. And and the Bible talks about how God knows our frame. He knows all about us. You know, you get the privilege oftentimes when you get involved in some of this mission work to pray for people. And a lot of times you get more requests to pray for sick people than you do for salvation. And you have to work it all in and work it all together. But, and and what do you pray to somebody and for somebody who you don't know? You don't really understand. and You don't know the full gravity behind what's being stated. What you do is you pray to God To, you'll say, okay, God, you know this person. Because even though I don't, even though he talks differently from me or she talks differently from me, you know them. You created them. You allowed them to be born where they were born. This is special. This is set aside. This is for a purpose and a reason. So, God, what are you doing with them? Why don't you have them down sick? Help them to see you. And that's what you pray. Help them to see God. Because if they can see God, everything else is good. If they die, it's good. If they they live, it's good. You want them to see and to know God. So here's Philip again, running. Philip, run, Philip, run. Run, Philip, running, running down to Azusa, stopping at all the little places. You know, you need a breather when you run. You know, you got, you got comfort stations along the way in 10Ks, right? You, have to, you, you don't really supposed to stop, but you run by the table, you grab this bottle and chuck it back, and water goes everywhere and splashes everybody near you. That's just fun. That's what you're supposed to do. Well, that's kind of what Philip was doing with the gospel, you know? Everybody's getting splashed with this thing. And so this is going on. Philip doesn't wait for a second. And hey, you ever notice, too? You know, I'm always... And I don't see it so much in the New Testament like I do in the Old Testament. You see God giving commands to Abraham. And a time or two, Abraham argued with God. But most of the time, or to Moses as well, but most of the time, they, or not all the time, they followed what God told them to do. God said, do it. They did it. You know, as like, was it in Genesis 22 when Abraham is going to offer up Isaac there on the altar? And God tells him, go up on Mount Moriah and, you know, sacrifice your son. Dude, I'm gonna argue with that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I got a son. Even if even Chris would be what forty years old now, I guess. Even if forty years old, I ain't offering up my son. I love my son. I ain't gonna take his life. What do you What do you mean, offer up my son? Me and God's gonna have a long conversation about that. If He was to give me such an instruction. Besides that, Chris is faster than I am. I may not be able to catch him. You know. And so, how, how, how's this gonna come about? Abraham, he never questioned God. He did it. God said it, He did it, That settled it. It was good. Our lives should be noted in the same way. And Philip, he doesn't wait for second instruction. You don't ever see him arguing with God. God says, "Run, Philip runs. He ran down to this chariot that God says you, God says, "Run down to this chariot, Philip, that I've allowed to be there in the desert. Now don't you for even a moment think that this chariot and this inhabitant just happened. To be there in, in Gaza in the desert this was a divine appointment you got to think about it this way when you're given the privilege to share Christ with others it's not happenstance might feel like it might look like it, it ain't who rules your life? you following God? if you follow God he brings into your path what you face every day Any appointment you ever get to share in is a divine appointment. You are supposed to be there to share this word. They are supposed to be there to share this word. Now, it hurts sometimes when you don't feel successful when that's done. I'll be honest with you. It does. It happens. You're not going to win every time. It's, you know, just don't happen. But you've shared the word. You've watered the word. You maybe have cultivated the field a little bit. Somebody else is coming behind you it 's okay. trust in that you't don't, you don't have to you know you don 't have to bring in the sheave every time that you do it. Just know that if God said "Do it you 're doing the right thing by sharing his word and sharing him with others and then we know that um, you know because the, This was a divine appointment that God had set up. You know, it was a divine appointment that Saul met Jesus Christ on the way to Damascus. Wouldn't you say that? That was a divine appointment? Others would say it was just a freak accident. Paul knew better. Because when he said, what would you have me do, Lord? He even knew who was doing it. Is that crazy? He didn't question. He said, Lord, who are you? God showed him who he was. And then, you know, Peter... On the day of Pentecost, he did not just happen to be there in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. He could have been out on a boat anywhere. But God told him that day, you be here on, at, on Pentecost. And he was. And what did he experience? Once in a lifetime. But it happened. You know, you and I, we need to be looking for these things. Um, and, you know, Jesus didn't just happen... To be in Bethany four days after Lazarus' death. That was intentional. You ever think about that? Don't that seem mean for Jesus to let Mary and Martha suffer like they did and the other friends? You ever think, boy, Jesus, you're a little heartless on this thing. But he brought him back to life. Now, I don't know that was good. (laughs) I've lived this life and I'm still involved in it. Sometimes I think it'd be better if I could just check out. You know, so like Paul said, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And how much better is that? But I know he's not done yet because I'm still here. That's why, you know. But wouldn't it be cool if you knew that this is divinely appointed just for you? Paul didn't just happen to be in a Roman prison awaiting death in 2 Timothy. God arranged that. Wherever we find ourselves, day or night, is a divine appointment arranged by a loving Heavenly Father for the betterment of His child. And it's not always a completion. That's where we struggle sometimes. We want to see, we want to experience the thing and then it'll be over. But we're still living. It ain't over. There's more. But the cool thing is, if you embrace it, God has so much more for you. And He broadens the the experience. And it gives you so many more privileges. And it gives you rest. He gives you time. He'll find a way. Uh, you know, one time it happened I was flat on my back with a heat stroke. Couldn't move. Literally, two weeks. Could not get off the couch. But God gave me two weeks of rest. <laughs> and it was good for me. And I learned during that. But it was interesting too. I was able to read Martyr's Mirror during that time. Believe it or not, the whole book. You got it. The whole book. And I even read Fox's book, Martyrs, after it because some of the accounts were a little different and I wanted to see what the differences were. That all happened in two weeks. But if you can't go nowhere else and do nothing else, what you gonna do, you know? So I was reading and it was fun. Well, well, Philip joins himself to this chariot as instructed by God. The man in the chariot is a man of high value. We've talked about that. He's a seeker of the true God. We've talked about that. He's in the possession of a scroll. And he's quite wealthy. He's a personal servant or officer of the queen of Ethiopia. Her wealth was his blessing. He was of, of a good situation in life. He was allowed to pursue his heart. And, the, and isn't that interesting too? He had the queen of Ethiopia, Candace. She gave this man an open door. You know they had false gods down there in Ethiopia. You do know that, Right. They had idols. They they served the elements. And, you know, in India, they've got 330 million different gods. And you know, the number is not exact, but it's somewhere around there. They say. And you know, they, many times they'll they'll worship ancestors. They'll 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 have pictures. And I, I guess it's kind of pretty, but sometimes it's done for the wrong reasons. They'll have pictures of their ancestors on the wall in their little puja room. With that's a little prayer room, you know, with the gods on other shelves and stuff like that. And they'll have they'll put fresh wreaths on these pictures. Like their are mom or daddies wearing these, you know, fresh, you know, floral reefs there and things. and and But these are acts of worship too many times, and that's not what we're about. We don't worship people. Some will worship the sun. Some worship the moon. Some worship the stars. Some worship the rain, you know. We don't do that. We just thank God for it all because God created it anyhow, and that's what's so cool. We can do that. You know, it's like when I was talking to the Hindu, Hindu priest, some of these things came up. Well... And this man had tried to find God. The best that he could do was to purchase a scroll that might continue him on a spiritual quest. But the choice of which scroll was orchestrated by God, imagine, this, the, 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 nothing about fate here, God arranged it. Well, Philip wisely begins his conversation with this new acquaintance too. And, you know, that's important for us. When we begin a conversation about Christ, you don't walk up somebody, and, or maybe you do depending on the situation, but I've known people sometimes that would drive people away by, you know, meet somebody new, praise the Lord, you know, God loves you and so do I. And that's, that's pretty. It is. But some people don't want to hear stuff like that. Find out before you approach this person, what are they interested in? What, 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 what takes their attention? What do they listen to? Um, these sort of things. Find out something about these people. If you want that conversation to go deep, you'll know something about the person and be real on it. Uh, that's always one of the challenges we deal with, and we're getting to that point in India now where they're actually opening up and telling me stuff that they don't tell nobody. And I have to be careful what I share, but they, they do. But when you know these things, you're able to meet the needs. God will do it. And he'll give you understanding for things that you need to know that you didn't think you knew before. We're not talking just surface Christianity here. We're talking deep Christian faith and living that way. One that's, that I'm, I'm so excited about, y'all, y'all all know about Daniel Kaufman's doctrines of the Bible, right? You nod your head, the, the blue book, you know, it's kind of thick. Uh, how many people have read that? And I don't answer that question. But you've looked at it, you know. And uh, it, it's an excellent book, and it's good stuff. And But you also understand the antiquated nature of some of it as you read that book. Well, that book has been synopsized into a 50-page little 4 by 6 book in India in one language, in the Telugu language, and we're working through that book was with our, our pastors there in Andhra Pradesh and, and I've, really, I've, I've purposely challenged them and I knew they were going to have questions about it. I said as you study through this book ask me the questions that come to mind. Do not be afraid. You're not going to lose my love or my care by telling me something that you don't understand or don't agree with. It didn't really happen but I'm, I'm, I'm on a deeper level with a man in Ruben Esher. And Brother Prabhas is the one, uh, he put together the team that translated the 101 Bible stories into Aria back there on the table. And so he's got another task now, and his task is to translate the doctrines of the Bible in the little 50-page synopsis book. And I'm so excited. Everyone that's listed in that big, thick book is in this little book. It's just on a smaller scale, okay? But I'm so excited because I know that Prabhas will ask me, If he sees something that doesn't seem right. And you know, the church in India, if it's not the church in India, it is not gonna be the church. You cannot take an American church and expect it to work. It ain't gonna happen. They're different people. It's got to be Indian. And Prabhas is gonna help me do that in the Area language where they've never had these these things to look at or read before. They've just barely got a Bible. And Bible is great, and Bible is good, but you know that 101 Bible stories, they're using much greater and more than they do the Bible. But what's so cool is getting the understanding and the interest through the 101 Bible stories. Then they wanna go to the scriptures that are written in those 101 Bible stories and read the actual account and see what it says and compare the account with what's in here, what's in the picture, and then look at the questions and talk as a family uh, with fathers and children what does this mean to us? It's one thing to know about Jesus raising Lazarus, but why? What's the big deal? Yeah, it's a big miracle. We pray for it. I get tickled one time. I shouldn't tell so many stories. to take too much time. I apologize. But I was with Raymond Burkholder over in India. And uh, to, uh, I was with another pastor who went off one day on an uh, auto. We spent like 12 hours or so out preaching at villages that day. Raymond and another pastor stayed in the uh, primary city where we were. And during this day, um, an old man, I mean, the ancient man um, had died and they brought Raymond to this man. He's still, his body is still there in the flowers and the stuff. You know how they do, it's gotta be done quick, but they do it. They've got this man sitting in a chair, um, his, his body uh, or laying. No, we went since he was laying down. They've gotten there and, and I don't know how he did it, but Raymond's got pictures of it. They had Raymond pray over the dead man. They honestly believed God should answer that prayer. This dead man's going to be raised to life. It didn't happen, but Raymond prayed. He was faithful to do what God left for him to do. He doubted, you know, and he told me, "He said, Ricky, I really didn't. I wanted to believe it. I, you know, but this man was dead. He was cold. You know? <laughs> he wasn't just dead. And uh, but they thought that, you know, if Raymond prays over this man, he might raise to life again. And he had lived a full life. I mean, he was an old man, and it was his time. But uh, you know, but things like that happen, but you've got to be prepared for that. Well, let me catch up where I'm at because I'm out of time. Um, Philip wisely begins his conversation with this new acquaintance by beginning with a question. Philip surely knew what he needed to say. He had already preached Jesus Christ to the Samaritans. And that, with great success, he had the gospel preaching down pat, right? No. He had learned a much more valuable lesson. However, he had learned to listen to the Spirit of God. That's what you and I have to do. That's why Philip prayed to God when he was preaching to this man. Obey the Spirit. Allow the Spirit to speak for him. This is why Philip noticed the activities of this high-ranking man. This seeker was diligently seeking truth and peace of heart. He was reading the scroll of Isaiah. He was reading chapter fifty-three. He, was the, this was not just an act of faith, sir? Do you understand what you are reading? The Ethiopian man, ready to begin, was now ready to begin his journey. He. But you, you ever, son? You ever think about something else? This is important too. This man, this grand man, this rich man, this man who owned the scroll of Isaiah, had personal contact with the. With the, the, the the queen of Ethiopia this man became humble in spirit when Philip asked him what was the normal answer oh of course don't you know who I am of course I know what I'm reading Yeah. what would Philip have said have a nice day he wouldn't have met Christ the man humbled himself in the, in the, in the face of Philip shared with him no sir I really don't Do you know? And Philip had the answers. He could share. But you know, when when Jesus wasn't just joking, when he said, uh, happy is the poor in spirit, for, for what is it? For his shall be the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that right? Happy, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And Jesus goes on through the rest of the attitude. You know what they are. This man lived it. And how did he live it? I don't know. Did he ever hear Jesus preach it? I don't know. But he was living it. And Philip recognized that, and God recognized that, and that's how special does that make that. The man confesses his own weakness. Philip wisely uses this opportunity to now preach Jesus Christ to him, Jesus Christ and him crucified. The man mourns over his past sin and begins to allow meekness to guide him as he begins to learn about Jesus, and he follows in water baptism, and he receives the Holy Spirit. Well. I like to think, and well, one other comment I'll make. Look at me with me, if you would, in Acts twenty one, Acts twenty one verse eight. Philip did get a get a bit of a rest. I, I want you to see that there, there is rest at the end. Acts twenty one eight says, "On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed, came to Caesarea." And entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. God surrounded the man with visions, with the word of God, with what was going on. So he did receive rest, and he did receive encouragement, and he did receive blessing. And, you know, that was the same place God left him. In Caesarea, you remember? After he went through Azotus, he wound up in Caesarea. God left him there. But he didn't just leave him. left him as a godly man. And we can look forward to the same rewards, I believe, in this life. Well, I like to say, and I'm going to finish with this. I am just a nobody who wants to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. Let me say it one more time. I'm just a nobody who wants to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. And I, I am a testimony to, of one who can tell you that God will do exactly that. Who was Philip after all? He was just a man. He got to serve tables, <laughs> right? But he also believed and followed the Spirit of God. What credentials did he have? Then, you know, God will use anybody who will love his son... And choose to be a nobody and be willing to go to everybody and tell them of that special somebody who is Jesus Christ. And I promise you, it can happen. And it will happen if you're willing to give your life and yourself to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this Opportunity that we've had to be here with these fine folks to look into your word, Lord, to read some truths from your word, to glean maybe some understanding and some applications. Lord, we know that it's not enough to read and understand your word until we have also followed your word. Give us, Lord, that desire and that power. Help us to realize what you've empowered us with that we can follow you and bring honor and glory to our Lord and our Savior. Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.